when we came back from the lockdown, we started, I started looking at the book of Ezra in church, and uh, I felt we needed to finish that by Easter, so I did the last part of Ezra online uh, as a video. You can see that if you want. But way, way back when the pandemic started, I started doing uh, little studies in John's gospel, verse by verse. thought it would only take me a few weeks. Uh, what are we, two years in? And I'm only at chapter 14. So we're going to do some of the John's in these services. So I'm going to look at a little bit of John's gospel. If you want to know some of the other bits, uh, there's a stack of them in our YouTube channel. We're going all the way back, verse by verse, right back to John 1. But we're going to have a look, little look at John chapter 14. And a uh, little cartoon to help us to begin with. Sometimes at night I worry about things, and then I can't fall asleep. And uh, I... I have to confess I'm a worrier. I go over things, I think about things, I think I have to have plans because uh, I just think about every eventuality. Sometimes that's helpful, sometimes that means I get things right. Quite often it can be unhelpful. I guess many of us will be worriers. Many of us will have things that we go over and over in our minds. Sometimes at night I worry about things and then I can't sleep, says Calvin. In the dark, it's easier to imagine awful possibilities that you never be prepared for. And the night times are worse. And some of us here will know that, that it's in the night when we're alone, perhaps, that troubles, things, thoughts crowd in and we worry. It's hard to feel courageous in loose-fitting, drowsy bear jammies. And uh, Hobbes says, that's why I sleep in the buff. I don't know what your sleeping arrangements are. I'm not going to tell you mine. It's hard. Charlie Brown goes to Lucy, says, life is very hard. I have the terrible feelings that as I grow older, it's not going to get any easier. And uh, that's maybe true, I'm afraid. As we get older, it's not any easier. Things are crowding, pressures, worries, troubles. Is there anything I can do to protect myself? And I found this funny. I need to say nobody in this morning really laughed. She says, try wearing a helmet. And I just thought the idea of going through life wearing a helmet was funny, just in the idea that if I could wear a helmet, maybe life couldn't worry me or trouble me. And um, I didn't dare try this on this morning. It, it's, just, it's a very small hole there, isn't it? <laughs> This could go wrong. I don't think this is going to fit me. It's not going to fit. Shouldn't it? If I go around like this, is this helpful or unhelpful? Very helpful. You think I should just stay like this? You're just getting me into trouble. What on earth can we do with the things that worry us? Wearing a helmet doesn't work. It's not going to solve anything. What can we do? John's Gospel, John 14, follows on from John 13. And uh, that's, you'll come for church for these great insights, I know. <laughs> Having loved his own who are in the world. This is how John 13 says. This is the context of the verse he says. He says that John tells us that Jesus is going to show the full extent of his love. And then I want you to notice this verse. Because he washes the disciples' feet. And then he has a, a conversation with Judas, Iscariot and Judas uh, gets ready to leave. And it says that Jesus was troubled in spirit and said, one of you is going to betray me. And you get this sense of the, the, the pain 
that Jesus felt. And uh, I did a study on this, and we, we did a couple of things looking at, at Judas. And, but the thing I want to draw your attention to is it, it troubled Jesus. It worried him. And then John 13 goes on, and he tells the disciples to love one another and to follow his example. And uh, Jesus, uh, Peter says, look, I'm going uh, to follow you and lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, you're not. You're going to deny me. And I looked at that in a video that went out this morning about how Peter completely misjudges himself. He doesn't get who he is. He doesn't get who Jesus is. And immediately after, because sometimes with chapters in the Bible, you, you kind of think, well, it starts here. But actually, the verse that we're going to focus on today is immediately after Jesus has said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me three times, Peter, but do not let your hearts be troubled. And it's important to understand what's just gone before. What does this word troubled mean? Remember, Jesus was troubled, and now he's saying to disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. It's a sense of anguish. It's a sense of deep distress. It's a sense of turmoil. It's a sense of being shaken to our very roots. This is what this word kind of means. And he's saying, don't let it go from maybe your mind into your core of who you are, into your heart. What worries me most is the obvious fact that it does me no good to worry. Do you think that? Do you ever think, my biggest problem is the fact that I worry about problems. If I could just not worry about problems, that might solve a lot of my problems. But Jesus felt troubled. And I really want to underscore this because there are so many times when we feel there's something wrong with us for being anxious. There's something wrong for us for being fearful. There's something wrong with us for having concerns, for not sleeping well. John tells us three times that Jesus was troubled. Firstly, over the death of Lazarus and the response of the crowd weeping. Secondly, um, over his arrest and what was to come and the way he was going to be treated in the lead up to the cross. And then over Judas, as we just read. So whatever being troubled means, we understand that it was an experience that Jesus understood, sympathized with and felt. Therefore, it's not a sinful state. It's a part of the humanity that Jesus takes on. But nevertheless, Jesus is saying, I don't want it to take root in your heart. I don't want it to control you. I don't want it to take over who you are. What were the disciples troubled by? Probably different ones of them. Remember, Jesus has just told Peter that he's not as brave as he thinks he is. There may have been a fear of the future. They may have been uncertain about what was going to happen. Rumors that Jesus was going to be arrested. Unaware, perhaps, of what Judas was plotting. Who knows? Aware, certainly, that, things, that Jesus himself was talking about dying. Perhaps there was a fear and a guilt and a shame. Perhaps what Peter was feeling, I've, I've said I'm going to die for you, and now he's just told me I'm not. And so he's feeling crushed. He's feeling uh, shameful, guilty of his own stupidity, perhaps. Perhaps he's feeling unworthy. Perhaps some of the other disciples are feeling unworthy, not good enough to be with Jesus. Perhaps there is a feeling that other people are opposing them. 
that they are on their own. Certainly within 24 hours, that's going how they're going to feel. And certainly that's what Jesus is preparing them for. He's preparing them for the time when Jesus, when Peter will deny him, when people say, aren't you one of those disciples? And go, oh, not me, I'm backing off. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be connected with this. It may be, I'm going to move that because I just tripped over that. Let's move that out of the way. It may be that they were frightened of dying. Certainly that seems to be what happens, that they're scared of death. Man suffers most through his fears of suffering. Sometimes the fear of what is going to happen is worse than the thing that happens. And Jesus says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. He's already been troubled himself in spirit, but he's saying, I don't want that to take over. I want you to, to have some strategies to deal with it. I don't want it to be dominant within you. I want to give you some hope. So trouble is to be managed. It's not an unending state. It's not a place where we stay and live for eternity. Hope is to be found and to be held on to. Jesus is suggesting that there's going to be some things that may be helpful for us to do to help us with our trouble. And the first thing he says is, my father's house has plenty of room. Not quite the first thing, because I'm going to come back to the thing that he says uh, first. But the second thing he says is, my father's house has plenty of room. In my father's uh, mansion are many, or in my house are many mansions, or little kind of versions try to struggle to translate what this means. These older versions of the Bible, you may be familiar. And we can, sometimes people see things precisely and it's always helped to step, helpful to step back and see the, the picture language of the Bible. What he's saying here is where God lives, there's room for you. That's the bottom line. Where God is, the dwelling place of God, the future and eternal place of God has room for the people you don't think there's room for has room for you even if you don't think you're good enough. The dwelling of God has more than was expected space. And that's important because I think very often amongst religious people, there is an idea that the whole point of religion is to try to remove people from heaven. It's to try to limit it. It's to try to come up with all the rules and regulations that, that mean we're, drink, we're getting down to a smaller number. And certainly the religious police, this idea of condemnation and judgment, there's this sense of we're always trying to tell people who are not going to be there. But Jesus wants them to know that they can be there. He says, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. The dwelling of God has more than expected space. And he's gone to prepare a way. Now, uh, the first thing is that through the cross that's about to happen, he is preparing, he's, he's getting the door keys, he's enabling the way in which we can go to eternity with Jesus. He is preparing the way. But actually, the verse says he's preparing a place. 
which again is a strange thing, and loads of different people have ideas of what that means to prepare a place. But I think we just step back again and just see, feel the picture of it. I don't know what it is that makes you feel at home when you go to visit somebody. Maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a hotel, maybe it's a guest house. What is it that makes you feel at home? Maybe it's a little chocolate on the pillow, maybe it's fresh cut flowers in the windowsill, maybe it's a, a book lying there for you to read that you know is your favourite author, maybe uh, it's uh, framed and signed photos of Cambridge United players. I don't know what it is that would make you feel at home, something bespoke for you. The person has thought about you and says, I want you to know that you're welcome in my home. This guest room is for you. And that, I think, is the picture that Jesus is trying to tap into. He's saying, it's not only is there room for you in heaven, but I want you there. You, uniquely. You with your passions, your interests, your oddly shaped life. I want you there. So this is an image of Jesus saying, we are wanted and welcome. I've gone to prepare a place. I'm going to get it ready for you. I'm going to get your color scheme going to get your pyjamas under the pillow, or non-pyjamas if you don't wear pyjamas, whatever it is, he's going to get that ready for you. We're wanted and we're welcomed. Don't let your hearts be troubled because heaven is coming and we are wanted and welcomed. And he says, I'm going to take you to be with me. Why is he going to take them? He's going to take them because the life there that they're living is second best. This life is not all that God's intending for us. That's why we get so frustrated with it. This is not a good enough life to be the finale, the end place. This is not good enough to be all that there is. God has said, there is something more, and I want to take you there. There is a better place where there is no more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more mourning. There's no more pain, no more old age, no more aches, no more arguments, no more conflict, no more selfishness, no more greed, no more inequality, no more injustice, no more abuse, no more damage, no more illness, no more stress, no more anxiety. whole thing is redeemed and gone. And then this new earth, there's a space for you and I, and it's good. So whatever we're going through now, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled because this isn't all there is. Don't let your heart be troubled because you're going to go through some really tough times, guys. But after that, I've got something special. A future home. And we may feel troubled by similar things. We may feel troubled by guilt or shame. We feel rubbish. We feel unworthy. We know the stuff that we do in our life that we're ashamed of. We can see perhaps things that don't work and things where we haven't succeeded, areas of failure. Our life hasn't mapped out all that we wanted it to be. And we feel troubled. It may be that we feel troubled by a sense of unworthiness and just we're just not good enough. We look at other people and they're so successful and they're so spiritual or they're so clever or they're so uh, loved by other people and we feel unworthy. It may be that we're troubled by fears all kinds of fears. We don't know what we're afraid of, but there are fears. Or we do know what we're afraid of, and it looms ahead of us. It may be that we are troubled by opposition, by people who don't like us, who people who resist us, by conflicts in the family, in the workplace, in the community. It may be that we are struggling with disappointment with God. 
Why haven't you done this, God? Why have you done that? Why is this where we are? What is going on? Lord, where are you? And we just cry out to you, God. And it may be that we're struggling with a fear of death. We're frightened of our own death. We're frightened of uh, the death of others. And death looms. And Jesus has said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let. Do something to stop it getting out of control. Do something that stops it going from an anxiety up here down to a, 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 a state of the heart that's trapped and stuck. We need to make some choices. Again, I showed this cartoon to uh, the morning congregation and blanked. Nobody got it at all. I'm confident that you have a more similar sense of humor to me, I hope. Here we go. Maybe not. Okay. So <laughs> it's the center for the study of overthinking. And he's, I, don't, I hate it when I have to explain my cartoons. And he's trying to rewrite it because he's overthinking how to say overthinking. All right, never mind. It wasn't funny. I thought it was funny. <laughs> I, can tell, I can't tell anymore whether you are sanitizing your hands or just wringing them. How do we deal with anxiety? Do we overthink it? Do we go round in circles? Do we come up with things that don't work? And this is where we go back. He says, trust in... Well, he says, trust twice. He repeats. He said, prepare twice. Repetition means notice. He says, I want you to trust. And I want to be very clear what trust means. Trust is not a feeling. In fact, if you feel that you trust something, you don't, you're not actually trusting it because it's obvious. Trust is not a feeling. It's an action. It's a decision to put your weight on a concept or an idea, even though you may not be certain of it even though you may be fearful or anxious or doubting, going from one place to the other over it. When he says trust, he doesn't mean feel great. He's already said you're, that we're troubled. He's already said that he's troubled. He's talking about a decision, a choice. And he says to trust two things. Firstly, he says to trust God. In other words, I want you to trust that the love of God will save us from eternal death, that there is a dwelling to come that is brilliant and beautiful, and there is a place for us. Trust me on this. You may not feel it. It may be that you have to say to yourself, I'm not sure, but I'm going to live like I know it's true. Because sometimes that's what faith is. It's not a feeling. It's saying, I'm going to put my effort, trust, lifestyle into this. And then he says, trust also in me, in Jesus. In other words, to trust that Jesus is competent to tell us fully the heart and revelation of God. That Jesus is who uh, is, is a perfect representation of God. That what Jesus says about grace and love and mercy is what God thinks. We trust that Jesus is the one to copy. And we trust that Jesus is our saviour. So... What does this look like? What might this look like? When we are troubled by f fear, 
sorry, by failure, by guilt, by shame, by unworthiness, when we feel rubbish, when we've messed up, when we have stuff in our life that we don't seem to have control of or something massive that we've done that we just comes back and again and again a voice in our ears says, you are not good enough. You go to church, but you're not really a proper Christian. You're not going to be saved. God doesn't love you because of this and the way you behave. And that's troubling our minds, and we've got to stop it troubling our hearts. We've got to do some things, so we choose some stuff. And we choose to believe that God wants to forgive, that he actually wants to set us free, and that coming to him, therefore, in confession works. And we may not feel it. We may run away from God. We may hide ourselves in a corner because we feel useless, but God says, come to me. And we choose to believe that confession brings mercy and forgiveness. And we choose to try again. We choose to keep going. We choose to go, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And though I'm not good enough, and though I've messed up, and though I've fallen on my face, I'm going to stand up and have another go. Because I choose to believe that's what you want. You don't want me to give up. I choose to believe, even though I feel that I can never be your proper servant, I choose to believe that you want me to be your disciple. And so we act something that we maybe don't feel. It may be that we feel troubled by the opposition, by people against us, by conflicts in all kinds of places. And we choose to wait for deliverance and reward. We choose to believe that there is a time after this conflict when we will be with God, when it will be small in comparison when we look back. We choose to believe that the conflict and opposition that we have now is temporary and there is something better to come. And we will wait for God to say, well done. Because this moment isn't all there is, and we can afford to ride it out. And we choose, therefore, to resist anger and to have, get our own back with people. We choose to resist conformity. We choose to resist saying, well, I'll just go with the flow and I'll just do what everybody else was because they're all against me and it's just easier if I give in. But we trust that God has called us to be something different. We trust the values he's put in our heart. We trust the integrity he asks of us, and we will keep going with it. It may be that we're troubled by disappointment in God. We just can't understand why what we thought didn't happen. Why the promises that we understood from Scripture haven't been fulfilled. And we choose to walk to him, not away from him. We choose to bring our lament and our anger and our frustration. We choose to express it to him and to believe that in his love, he welcomes that honesty. He doesn't want us to run away from him. But we bring the lament. We see the Bible so many times where people argue and angry with God. So we bring it to him and not away from him because we choose to trust that he wants to hear how we're cross with him. And we choose to hope, believing that heaven will put it right. We choose to believe that this moment is rubbish, God, but something better is coming. We choose to believe that there's a place in heaven that welcomes us. It may be that we are troubled by fear, and we choose to pray 
We choose to bring our fears to God. We choose to acknowledge them. We choose to say, God, this is what's worrying me. And we choose to move forward, trusting that he is with us. We choose to keep going because there is a time coming when it will be behind us. And like Jesus, we, for the sake of what is to come, endure what is now. And we choose to look beyond what we fear. And lastly, I think we may be fearful of death, of our own death or the death of others, but we choose to believe in the hope of reunion. That those who are in Christ, we will meet again. And that the separation is temporary. And we choose to believe that eternity will heal the loss of this moment. And sometimes we won't feel that. And sometimes we'll rail and cry and weep, and that's all okay. But we trust. And so we don't give up on Jesus. We keep going when we don't understand. And it's painful. Because we choose to believe that Jesus is preparing a place for us and that whatever we fear about death is a whisper and an accusation and a lie because Jesus has risen from the dead and it holds no fear for us. So some questions for reflection. What is prone to trouble our heart? What is it that brings anguish for you and I? And what difference does victory over death make? Putting a helmet on isn't going to make any difference. But might knowing that this will pass and something far greater will come, might that help? What can we choose? Can we choose hope? Can we choose peace? Can we choose faith? And what do we need to resist? Do we need to resist anger? Do we need to resist giving up? Do we need to resist despair?